Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Psychology of Case Management podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about research and the importance of research. Um, It's something that I have a background in having studied for a PhD, but it's something that I recognize as something I've done to help me with my psychology career and not necessarily connected with it in the case management world. So I suppose I'm kind of wanting to explore that a little bit because we all know the whole point of research is to inform our practice, to gather evidence for our theories and, um, you know, for the, for the basis upon which we do things. And obviously it's helpful because it develops the field that we work in. And each field has its, you know, its body of literature, except it seems for case management. We borrow a lot from everywhere else, which don't get me wrong, has an absolute role. It makes me wonder about what we perhaps are missing out on by not having our own body of research that we can sort of use. So basically, I want to to think about that a little bit. And I have no other than our Dr. Devdeep Ahuja, who is the CMS UK's director and the chair of the research committee at CMS UK, who himself is a PhD graduate, who um, is going to have a conversation with me about research, why it's valuable, why it's necessary, and um, what we can do as case in the case management personal injury world to think a little bit more about engaging with research. So welcome, Dr. Dev. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, not at all. Yeah, we've done this before podcast episode wise, but we haven't done it about research before. But I know research is a it's it's um I don't think it's too far to say that it's a passion of yours, having done it, you know, sort of not as a, a young person like I did it, um, more as a sort of established clinician. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey into research and how it's slightly unconventional, as I understand it. But um, how how it's you know w- what is it about research that gets you going? Yeah, so as I say, my journey into research has been quite interesting. So when I when I did my undergrad, I was I didn't want to be a researcher or anything. All I wanted was uh, get into the clinics and see some more patients and see some more yeah. patients. But then as I, as I started seeing patients, I thought, oh, I need to improve myself and I need to learn more and such and such. And that's where I decided I want to do my MSc. And MSc is where I really was exposed to research. I did my MSc dissertation. And then following that, I, I was quite interested in research. I tried to sort of understand a little bit more about it. And eventually in, in 2008, I set up one of the first open access journals for physiotherapy at that time. It was called International Journal of Physiotherapy and Rehabilitation. Uh, I was the managing managing editor of it, which is basically me not doing much, but getting the team together to really uh, do all the work in that sense. But what it allowed me to do was to understand more of the peer review process. It made me appreciate what goes into writing a paper, what goes into publishing a paper, what goes into making a good article, and what is good research. Mm. That was really helpful in me being able to appreciate research a lot more and its impact on me as a clinician, as a professional, and what I should be doing to enhance my practice just by engaging with research. 
Um, so therefore, I wanted to do a PhD that it seemed like a logical next step in terms of my journey towards research and understanding of research. So when I was offered a, a fully funded PhD by Sheffield Hallam, I jumped on that and uh, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is a slightly unusual and unconventional route, um, sort of creating a journal um, before you understood the machine behind research but actually it taught you that machine and you didn't run away from it you said hang on I'm going to get a PhD out of this I get this I understand now so you went in very wide eyes wide open I did yes it uh, as I said I had some understanding of research and I had some understanding of uh, the process and such and such but I think that uh, uh, during my four years of PhD I learned a lot and I think that's the whole purpose of it is you are learning to drive. It's PhD is getting the PhD is not like you are an amazing researcher. It is learning how to research, and I think that's what I did. And during my four years of PhD, it was it was a really good experience. It was a painful experience as well as I think all PhDs <laughs> are. They're not oh, supposed, yes. <laughs> they're not supposed to be fun anyway. So it was no. And I don't think that I could go through that process again now if I had to. But uh, uh, but it was good all the all the same. I think it was good. Yeah. So why would you say research is important? What is it about it that you think is contributing to the clinical work that we do, whatever that field might be? Yeah. So if you, if you think about it, as a physiotherapist, everyone knows what does a physiotherapist do, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows you go to a physiotherapist, you get, um, you might get manual therapy, you might get uh, exercise, you should get exercises, and you get uh, certain interventions, right? So you know that. But how do you know that? That's the identity of the profession. Mm. How does that identity form? That is from the evidence that, okay, as a physiotherapist, I do this to the patient and it intervenes and it, it sort of helps with these outcomes. I get these outcomes. I can resolve pain by doing mobilization of the back. And I can say that, give that statement because I have a whole body of literature in the background, which tells me, which shows me that mobilization is effective in reducing pain. Mm. So that is where research comes in. It forms the basis of a professional identity. It forms the basis of who we are, what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. All of mm-hmm. that comes from research, right? So if I go to a clinician and say, I have pain, right? And again, pain is one of, <laughs> one of my other areas, <laughs> so I will talk about pain. But if I go to a clinician and I say, I have pain, the way that person approaches that pain comes from research. It's how they're going to assess it. So what are they going to ask me? Why are they going to ask me those questions? What tests they're going to do if they're going to do any tests? What outcome measures they're going to use if they're going to use any outcome measures? All of that is standardized based on research. So the research underpins mm. the whole clinical practice. Whatever that person's going to do to me, they're going to talk to me. Whatever tools they're going to use, whatever interventions they're going to use, all of those are underpinned by research evidence showing that for that condition, for that back pain, that assessment questionnaire is valid one. That question that they're asking me is the right question to ask. That test they're doing for me is the right test to do. And that intervention that they're giving me is the right intervention for that. So in that sense, research forms the whole 
sort of underpinning for the full profession. Yeah. And from a consumer sort of service user perspective, you have that sense of safety. You have that sense of understanding that this is probably the thing that's going to get me the best results or the, the best outcome possible. I'm therefore going to commit to something like more likely that has a strong evidence base or that is expressed in a way that um, ev- you know suggests that there is evidence that I'm not going to waste my time or I'm not going to be more broken at the end of this. Yes, uh, from a consumer perspective, but also we all work in the personal injury sector as well. So we got yeah. the authorization for funding for everything as well. And again, true, true. If you're going to recommend something. Is there evidence that that recommendation is a valid one? Is that the right approach to go? Mm-hmm. And is that going to be cost effective? All of those things come from research. That is where mm-hmm. the research evidence supports your decision making as a clinician, as a case manager. If I'm recommending oh, go and um, get a spinal cord stimulated done. But it's going to mm. cost you £10,000 only for a trial and then implanting that spinal cord stimulator. How effective is it going to be in managing the pain? Mm. Unless and mm. until we have evidence to support that decision, we won't get that funding. So we need to justify our uh, our decisions and that justification comes from evidence. And yes. evidence comes from research. And I would say at this stage that research or data isn't necessarily purely generated from a sort of lab condition perspective, is it? Because we've got the evidence-based practice that we base our practice on the evidence. But there is also the practice-based evidence, the sort of bottom-up data that we collect that has relevance because it's in situ. There is a role for that information that takes on environmental factors, individual differences, and that takes on um, socio-political climates, etc., that plays a role in what we understand as evidence. Exactly, yes. I, I, I think that's the big thing, really. Uh, sometimes it's made out that research is all big hoo-ha and you're, you've got lab coats and you're working away in isolation. Mm. No, research is not about that. Research is about... Uh, uh, yes, if you're talking about pharmacological research and such and such, they will do it in standardized labs. And if they were creating a vaccine, that those kind of things is fine. But our our world, where we work in, 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 in terms of the more day-to-day stuff that we do as case managers, we generate a lot of data. I mean, all the case management companies, they publish case studies as evidence that they are uh, effective they will give it to their whenever they as a part of their marketing strategy i guess right and probably cqc as well um yeah. cqc registration would benefit from that yes certainly but we are all generating that data that is evidence yes there are mm-hmm. levels of evidence so you could have right at the lower level you have the anecdotal evidence that i get a testimonial from my client that is evidence that your intervention yeah. is working Mm-hmm. Uh, versus then you have a RCP or a systematic review and a meta-analysis showing that case management is effective for this condition, uh, mm-hmm. which we don't have at the moment. <laughs> so certainly, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of practice-based evidence, and I think mm-hmm. as case managers, that's where we need to start. We all are um, engaging with clients on a daily basis. We will know what works for our clients. So when I do talk to my clients in a certain way, they respond positively. 
when I talk to clients in a different way, they don't necessarily respond positively. So that's my own personal experience. But if I write that down and if I share it with others, then they could learn from that as well. And they could say, oh, if we start talking like this, that might help us as well. And that forms the evidence. Yes, it's a very low level of evidence, but we got to start somewhere. And you don't necessarily need to do big RCTs, but you got to start somewhere. And I think that's where that practice-based evidence comes in as well. And it's so it's so easy to do that kind of stuff, but it's, it just needs that uh, open-mindedness towards sharing and learning from each other. Definitely. I mean, I was struck by what you said, because I, I subscribe to this idea that without research, the identity of the profession is impacted. I would add to that and say the longevity of the profession is also impacted in terms of kind of the next generation. People want to know that they're entering a practice that is clear, that it has, I guess, rules and boundaries and that there's guidance within it. And it then develops a kind of idea, oh, I know what a case manager is. I can't even get blimming professional indemnity insurance easily Hmm. because when I say I'm a case manager, not the response is, what, what, what's that then? Uh, right, okay, but medical legal, I work in personal injury. Yeah, okay, so tell me more. I spoke, I, had, I was um, uh, in a meeting for an EHCP recently mm-hmm. and the, the local author- education authority said, can you explain what a case manager is? Because yeah. we, that, that's almost a nondescript. It's not enough in a way. So it makes me wonder, gosh, how do we really promote what we are doing as case managers and how do we reinforce ourselves from the inside out, which I think research has a crucial role in playing, and that everyone on the outside can then say, hey, that looks really interesting. Let me jump aboard that. Or let me see how that links in with maybe a bit more physiotherapy in your case, or psychology in my case, to then attract people from all walks of life, including the next generation of case managers. For me, that's like, you know, that's really quite fundamental and quite concerning because who does our research as case managers? Yeah, I think that I genuinely do not know the answer to that. <laughs> I think that's the big that's the big issue, really, and that's the reason that I started to engage with CMS UK in the first place about four or five years ago, um, and and I decided to come onto the board of CMS UK as well because that was my big question when I'm going in a plane and someone asks me, "Oh, what do you do?" I say, "I'm a physio," and everyone yeah. knows what I do, right? But yes. I say I'm a case manager. Hmm. No one knows what I do. There's no professional yeah. identity. No. So how can we bring that professional identity? Was the whole reason for me starting to engage with CMS UK, and I think my understanding of it anyway is, and that it comes from research, from having that evidence, from having that standardization of practice. When we know that all the case managers are going to be doing similar sort of things. Yes, not the same thing. Everyone's not going to be doing the same thing. But they're yeah. going to be doing this. The basic principles on which we work are are the same, and those principles are underpinned by evidence, which says that these things work, these things are effective, and then that makes life so much easier. When we go to an insurance company or to a solicitor and say, "Look, we want to do X, Y, and Z things for this person," and that's not just organizing physio or whatever, but also the more of a coaching role and a guide role and a supporting role that a case manager plays as well. Because our role is not just about organizing X, Y, and Z interventions. Our role is also about providing the motivation and the support to the client 
so that they can engage with the treatment so that yeah. they are making progress for us it is about monitoring progress as well so sometimes it's like oh he's already having physio why do you need to call them every week and see what's going on well because if we are not they they might not be doing things and that's what our role as case managers is but i don't have evidence to say that how often should a case manager be calling their client i mm. don't have any evidence to support that me providing that motivational support is enhancing his recovery i don't have any evidence for those kind of things yeah or even a framework you know because sometimes that's the research may suggest you know best practice ideas but what i think we we're also sort of missing a little bit is just a, a framework of sort of you know what's our epistemology you could say you know where where are we coming from what are we doing you know on a very deep level i do know what we're doing on a daily level but actually what are we hanging it all on yeah. and i've got to say i i really struggle with that and it i don't think it scares me that's not quite the right term that it scares me but it does concern me quite deeply because i feel like we're kind of almost uh, treading on on very th uh, thin ice in a way as a profession i know that there's for example the development um i know we've got barbican we've got cms uk um and there is the develop and we've got the um vra as well which are kind of forming a version together in the institute of Registered case yeah. managers. Sorry, I totally forgot <laughs> IRCM. Totally. Um, the Institute of Register, which is, you know, trying to make the field more robust from a bottom up approach, although it will lend itself from a top down perspective. But I, yeah, it just, again, we're kind of, um, not, we're meant not making it up because we've been doing this, you know, as a, as a group, you know, as a cohort of professional professions for a long time, I think. Um, and, and there's a big, probably a massive body of evidence that is available from the, our friends over the pond in America, because mm. of course, case management came from them, right? Yeah. And it just makes me think, and it is genuinely making me think for the first time, we should totally make links with the the Americans and yeah. see what they're doing, how they're doing it, because there, is, there isn't even a journal, is there? There isn't even a journal. There is no research. How can there be a journal? But yeah. I don't even know how research in case management is being done. I know there's like Mark Holloway does some research, I think, um, or certainly has a, um, a research background. And I think Alison Soltrice is someone who I've come across as well. Yeah. But like literally far and few between. I think one of the big things I, I suppose that I'd like to highlight is that you don't have to be a researcher to do research. I think that's the big mm. thing. I think before we even get to doing research, I think we need to start engaging with research, which means you are reading research and you're reading and then starting to implement those in your daily practice. I think that's more important than, yes, we do want to create the evidence and all of that, and that will come, it, it'll take time, but it'll come. But the first step is for us to start engaging with research, start to in, in terms of justifications that we're giving for our interventions, we start to just put references to things that we know that there is guidance. So for example, with pain, we have guidance that exercise and physical activity is really good for that person. Or CBT is the recommended treatment for a person with chronic pain. Let's put a reference to that nice guidance which says that it's as simple as that. And that will make that person think that when you are 
when they are reading your report they have the evidence mm. show that what you're recommending works right yeah. that's the first basic step very basic step and then from there you have the data that you've seen 20 patients with back pain or 20 patients with complex fractures and you provided xyz interventions start to pool your own data you don't necessarily need to do it in, in a structured formal research way getting ethics committee guidance and whatever not just do it for your own thing start to create a pool of that data or even single case studies are really good i mean we all do case studies for our marketing and whatever not share those case studies what worked and i think uh, we all as clinicians do reflection we do a lot of reflection i think reflection mm-hmm. is taught in our undergrad nowadays so it is all it it works for everyone and we all understand that but reflecting on and then just writing that up on a case and say okay this was the case this is what happened this is what i did this is how it impacted these were the positive things these were the negative things that at a very basic level that forms that is research that is research yes <laughs> yeah that's yes. data that is data and then once you once you have a lot of those then you can start to pool that okay for these kind of conditions these things work and da 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 then we can build up on that but i think the first step is just start to engage in research and that's why we, at uh, cms uk we started our uh, journal club as well which is a very informal way we send out an article a few weeks in advance and you read that article and then you come in there and we have an informal discussion it's no structured discussion we are not talking as researchers we're just talking as clinicians how does this apply to us what are the good things about this article what are the things that we struggled with and we <laughs> for the last couple of months we uh, knowingly or unknowingly selected some papers that were so difficult to read that we couldn't yeah. make any sense of some of the parts of the paper and, and that's fine that's yeah. fine it is about acknowledging we we all said okay we didn't understand this part of it and it's just having a frank conversation in that journal club which helps us all grow as individuals as clinicians and as researchers it, it allows us to see what aspects of research can i use in my own practice what can i take away and put it in my own practice yeah i i i really dig that idea i think that's it's such a refreshing idea to think about engagements with research just simply being i say simply but something that you can put in your inas for example mm. relatively easily um as services so as we're providing our psychology services mm. um you're making me think that maybe what we need to do is provide a little bit more referencing in our formulations and our understanding of why we're saying what we're saying and why we're proposing what we're proposing yeah why you're um, recommending 16 sessions of cbt versus 12 sessions of cbt for example so what is the nice recommended guidance is it 12 sessions is it 16 sessions is it six sessions yeah and, and yeah. i think it's just putting that there that look i'm saying 16 sessions because this is the recommended guidance so that no one then comes back and say oh 16 sessions is a bit too much i'm not going to fund that 16 sessions yeah well, i've told you it's you fund six sessions it's not going to work because no. yeah. of the optimum amount of intervention yeah and actually interestingly you say that in the last month i would say there's a lot more scrutiny i felt mm. over why we're making recommendations that's both case management and um psychology but probably a bit more in psychology to be honest with you as to why we're saying what we're saying and this actually is a very 
simple but effective way to think about research, but also to make our recommendations more robust and uh, more likely to be achieved. Because we we do have that clinical, you know, research, which, you know, which we would say in in the research terms, sort of a a sort of intuition, our clinical intuition, our research intuition um, is that, you know, this is and that's, you know, that that can be backed up. You'll be surprised, I think how not easy but how ideas can be backed up because you're you're coming from a already a strong background whether you're a physio whether you're a psychologist ot whatever so you've got that intuition there already and that's where i think that self-reflection element is really important because that's very core Mm. um, to the whole research process isn't it which is a relatively new idea because when i did my phd five years ago um (laughs) it, it wasn't necessarily part of the journey but when I did my clinical psychology training whatever years ago um, yeah, suddenly I've forgotten um, um, it was part of the process and I don't think that's because it was just a, you know psychology I think that is how research is is done now I don't know you, you did your PhD you, you did your PhD slightly after I think my clinical psychology training um, but it sounds like so you've got to know yourself you're an agent within that research process I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that engagement in research starts with you, actually, and what you are bringing intuitively, because I bet your bottom dollar, you will find some evidence that links in with that intuition, because you're not coming from an empty vortex of, I'm just going to make this up. You'll be surprised what you don't, what you know, because um, you don't know ultimately what you don't know, but you sometimes don't know what you do know. And research just helps it just is part of the consciousness raising, I think, and the, you know, kind of bringing from the I don't know to the I do know, and I can now do this with confidence, which is only going to enhance your your experience as a clinician, but also with your clinician, with your clients and colleagues. Yeah. The other thing, that, uh, a good point that you make, I think if we, understanding who you are and where you sit and what your thought process is so important, especially mm. because the work that we do is more sociological rather than like yeah. about pharmacological research. Okay, then you have a medicine. All they got to look at is this is the medicine. Does it work in reducing these symptoms or not? But where mm. we come from, we have more of a sociological perspective where our interventions are a lot more subjective Mm. rather than uh, very objective and therefore i think the whole contextual element plays a much bigger role and that's why i think qualitative research just doing interviews with five seven ten people trying to understand one specific aspect can be so enlightening it can give us so Mm. much information about why we do things or how we do things or how do people perceive those things well yeah Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Um, and I guess that the, uh, that internal sort of, um, gauge in, uh, uh, reflective terms, reflection, reflex, reflexivity, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, kind of my internal context, if you like. It's not just about how I am seen in the world. It's how I see myself in the world. And that is massively, um, important. So tell me, as part of the research committee for CMS UK, what other, you know, you've got the journal club, which is amazing. What other things do you do that kind of encourages research or the concept of engaging with research or um, data, et cetera? 
CMS UK research committee has been going for a couple of years now, about three okay, years. Okay, so quite young. Uh, very, yes. And it's taken us a bit of time to try and actually understand what can we offer, how can we sort of get support people with research. And obviously the first thing is, oh, let's give them grants. And, and, oh, yeah. and that's where we started. Uh, yeah, so brilliant. We've given some grants for people to do some research. When pandemic struck and obviously our life, there was an upheaval and such and such. And our way of working changed as well. So what we did was we uh, we gave some grants to people to do a bit of research or review. So it was more of a review, systematic review kind of stuff around uh, remote rehabilitation, remote case management. So there were three papers that we um, published based on that. Uh, so mm-hmm. one of the things that CMS UK Research Committee does is uh, uh, focus on providing grants to people uh, for case managers to undertake research. So this year's grant program has finished, obviously, but obviously there'll be some more next year. And so it's on a, on a yearly basis. I think there's a, a pot of £10,000 that is allocated every year towards providing grants and that can go to a single project or it can go to multiple small projects like last year we did three projects worth two two and a half thousand pounds each and then that was the major aim when we set up the research committee is okay we provide the funding and that's to encourage case managers to really start to think about research and yes they have a bit of funding so they can so they they get paid for the time that they're engaging with research as well but then uh, we said, okay, funding is one thing, but that's when we st- established the Journal Club, which is our second activity that we're doing. It's uh, happening on a monthly basis. It's not going to happen over the summer. Obviously, we, we'll be back again in September now. Again, the aim is to make it easy for people to engage with research and try to understand that. And then there are things in the pipeline that we are considering. So there is um, there's stuff around maybe creating a journal. But again, that's further down the line we will probably do that but uh, we we need to have enough people who are research aware and who are engaging with mm-hmm. research for us to be able to publish at least a basic journal to do it on a consistent basis what we don't want is just publish once in a year and then people forget yes. about it and um, so yes that will come at some point as well i think that's one of my aims but we'll we'll see when that comes to fruition uh, but at the moment, yeah, I think the, the, the two key things that CMS UK Research Committee does is the grants, the annual grants program that we have, and then the monthly journal club that we are running. Yeah, amazing. And also this podcast episode, which you have given us some really interesting ways to engage with research and to, to bring it more to our practice level um, in terms of offering best practice, etc. So can you tell us then your top three, because you've mentioned a few, but your top three ways of engaging with research? Yeah, so as I said earlier, I think the first thing to do is just be research aware, right? So research is the basis of our professional identity. So therefore, we need to be aware of why we are doing things, how we are doing things, and ultimately try and find evidence for the effectiveness of what we do is it mm-hmm. effective or not and why what tells us that it is effective but i think from an individual perspective start engaging in research in the sense that you are already collecting that data start to structure it a little bit maybe that's all we probably need to do is structure that data a little bit put it in put put your thoughts around if you finished 
or discharge one client or close the case, whatever you call it. If we do that, then let's just think about that client for a bit and think about how or what they presented with, what worked for them, what were the assessments or the outcomes that we, outcome measures that I use for them, and then what was the outcome? Ultimately, did I achieve those goals or not? That's Mm -hmm. all we need to do. Spend 10, 15 minutes writing that and that becomes the evidence for that case, right? And ultimately, mm-hmm. once we've done 10, 20, 30, 50 cases of similar condition, that becomes a huge data bank for you to go back to and say, for low back pain cases, using this outcome measure and providing this intervention is what works from my mm-hmm. own personal experience. And that's your practice-based evidence. You're not even going into the evidence-based practice there. No, that's right. Yeah, and very good. Third thing, the last thing I think is, as we said earlier, when you are when you are providing recommendations, when you are providing reports like the INA report or the progress report and making recommendations and rehab plans, try and underpin that with some guidance. The nice guidance is the best thing to do. Uh, and uh, there's also something called as clinical knowledge summaries on the NHS website where you can go and it will tell you what are the right outcome measures to use for these conditions? What are the right interventions to use for these conditions? And that then they link into a lot of research and they'll show if they're making a recommendation, they will say this comes from a systematic review of so many studies, which shows that it is effective. So those guidance documents are the highest level of research in terms of providing those recommendations. So start to use those in your reports. Yeah, amazing. And also join CMS UK's Journal Club. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a big one. I should have said that the first time. I should have said that first. Hey, we can make it an honorary fourth point. Um, you know, yes. primacy recency effect will mean that people remember that more than they would have perhaps earlier. Do you have to be a member of CMS UK, by the way, to access the Journal Club? Yes, I would say so. But I think that if you are not a member and if you want to just come in for a taster session, we'd be happy to host you. Ah, excellent. Thank you for that. Brill, well, I'll put all of those ideas in our show notes um, and our transcription. And again, I'm sure there will be lots more ideas that you can share with us. But that is quite a quite a good synopsis of where we are uh, research-wise in terms of case management, um, why we need to think about it differently, and how we can, in fact, think about engaging with research in our everyday practice. As always, Dr. Dev, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your ideas um, and your enthusiasm. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure is all mine. I really enjoy talking about this as well. Yeah, Pril, thank you. But we shall end it there. Thank you for listening in and um, we shall see you next time. Bye for now. Before you go... If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 